So, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, starting out. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Uh, But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, (coughs) By what power or by what name did you do this? Uh, And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, what a great passage we begin to read tonight and think about. Um, But also what a really challenging passage. Um, There are things in here that are difficult for us. Uh, There are things in here that are really difficult for our culture, for college campuses. And so as we just kind of work our way through this, would you be so gracious to help us uh, see, um, see the truth that is here, to see Jesus, I pray in his name, amen. Uh, so Brian Chapel, he's a pastor in Illinois, was a professor for a while, still teaches some. Um, uh, he tells this story of Karen and her husband. Um, the husband was a seminary student. It's like a grad student, but they're going to be like preachers, right? Uh, and so he's a seminary student, and she worked full-time to put food on the table. Okay, he's a student. She's putting food on the table. I've been there. Thank you. I love you. It's my wife back there. Um, so she's got this job with like a major pharmaceutical company, uh, and, and she's a quality control inspector. And so one day there was this large order, I mean like thousands, maybe more, uh, large order of syringes that a machine had produced, but a faulty procedure had been followed. Uh, And so the order was contaminated. And so the syringes obviously failed her inspection. Um, And she reported the issue to her boss. Uh, Well, the cost of reproducing this order would have been enormous, substantial, right? And companies, I know some of you are probably business majors and you get this, uh, companies don't really like losing money, okay? They just don't dig it. Nobody really likes losing money, do they? 
and so she was ordered to sign off on the inspection. She was ordered to sign off on the inspection. She was the only one who could sign off. She was the only one in that plant that could approve this order. Uh, and so the, it's so serious, the company president comes to her. Uh, and I, I don't know what that conversation was like, but he urged her to sign. Um, she was the only one. And, and, and he made sure like she understood, hey, if you don't sign off on this, uh, you're you're going to lose your job, right? Now, in that situation, you're like, okay, but I want you to go there for a second. She's putting food on the table. Like, she's paying the bills. Like, I just want you to kind of be there for a second. Like, it's a real heavy situation. Um, she had a choice. It was a challenging one. Uh, or at least it appears to be challenging. I don't think it was challenging to her at all. Uh, but she had a choice. Was she going to follow the values of her company... Or was she going to follow the values of God's kingdom? And so they told her, hey, you've got a weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. Obviously, she didn't need a weekend. It wasn't even really a hard decision for her. She refused, and she was fired. Right? That's, that's crazy. Um, what would you have done in that situation? Like, what would you have done? It's a great question. Uh, would it have been a struggle at all? I mean, we often hear stories like this, and I promise many of you in this room will have a story like this of your own one day. That is, that is the world we live in. Okay, get ready, it's coming. I've experienced stories very much like this because uh, I did work another thing before I started doing the campus ministry thing. Um, and so anyway, get ready, it's crazy. Uh, and you read stories like this of just, I mean, really the cool thing is like great courage. You know, you read stories of great courage, and, and you know, it's kind of encouraging. It's pretty cool. You know, you're like, man, that kind of pumps me up a little bit. But the more we kind of think about it, the more it kind of lingers in our mind, we begin to what? We begin to remember those times that we weren't so courageous, right? Like when you see great courage in someone else, we're often reminded of those times, man, you know what? I really didn't have courage. I really wasn't that bold. Um, you, and, and you don't have to be a Christian. I know some of you may not be there. Um, you don't have to be a Christian to, to understand the regret uh, of not having courage at some point in life uh, when you just kind of drop the ball, right? You know, there's times you weren't bold. Um, the longer I pastor students and just people in general, which is kind of inching towards a decade. This is crazy. Um, the longer I do it, the more and more I hear people say this, say phrases like this, Brian, man, I just wish I was more bold. I mean, I hear that phrase so often. Or I hear Christians say, man, I wish I had more courage. You know, and like, that's the reality. Like, courage and boldness is a real struggle for everyone. Like, it just is. It's for me and you. And, uh, and so I think this passage is helpful because... Just like the story of Karen, like this story is about great courage. Um, and so we're going to ask a couple questions, right? One is I want us to think like about this passage in a particular way. What about this passage? What in this passage kind of exposes our lack of courage? Um, 
So in the first four verses, you see kind of what's going down. Peter and John are arrested uh, while teaching at the temple square. And you see these leaders, right? These guys come to them as they were teaching. You got the priests. You got this dude called the captain of the temple, which is the second highest ranking religious leader, okay, in, in Jewish culture. A big deal. Uh, and then you get what? You got this other group of dudes named the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees were one of two really important, really, really important ruling classes within the Jewish people, and they worked real close to the Roman Empire. And so just kind of what I want you to gather there is this is a very powerful group of people coming to these two fishermen. Uh, And they were what? They weren't high-fiving them. They weren't like, dude, I'm putting that on YouTube. No, they were what? Greatly annoyed. Why? Because Peter was doing two things. One was he was teaching and proclaiming Jesus to a crowd of people. Lots of them are coming to faith, right? Uh, And then the second thing he's doing is he's proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. uh, Is what you see at the end of verse 2. Sadducees really hated that one. They didn't believe in that. It bugged them out. Um, and so Jesus, what you get real quick in the first four verses, like Jesus is a polarizing guy. Like Jesus is a polarizing person. He was back then and he is today. You know, like what Jesus did back then and what we believe about him today, it it can sharply divide groups. It can sharply divide individuals. It leads, it can lead to hostility. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, it can lead to what some people call cultural collision, you know, where worldviews just collide, man. Um, and so, now you guys are not being questioned by the Sadducees, right? It's probably not going to happen to any of you. Nobody's going to bump into the captain of the temple, I don't think. Um, but here's the reality that I think this, where this passage kind of connects to us is... Uh, when you follow Jesus, people are going to ask questions in some way. And maybe they're not hostile questions. Maybe they're curious questions. But no matter what, when you follow Jesus, you will at some point be asked questions if you're hanging around the world. Like if you're not in your room 24 hours a day. It's, you know, like it's coming. Um, and, there, and you're going to hear questions like this. Uh, what, what, do you mean you don't, what do you mean you don't hook up? With your boyfriend? What do you mean you don't sleep over at your girlfriend's house? What do you mean you didn't, like, you don't laugh at that joke? Like, what do you mean you didn't think that was funny when they were making fun of that person? You know, like, what do you mean you don't kayak on Sunday mornings? You know what I'm saying? There's other kayakers in the room. Um, like, what do you mean you don't fill in the blank? Like, what do you mean you don't? They're, like, they're really kind of curious, and at the same time, there's a collision. Like, there's, a, there's some distance. You guys experience it all the time, and I think we could come up with a great list of what do you mean you don't, because it's just so bizarre sometimes. Um, okay, so he's a polarizing character, but Jesus also did something else. Uh, he made exclusive claims. He just did, and we got to deal with them. Um, and so if this is your first time at RUF tonight, probably, you're probably going to get heartburn maybe. I don't know. Uh, but just hang in there. Uh, hang in there. Um, 
the leaders, what do they do? They put them in custody for disturbing the peace. It's, that's, literally, they didn't like, have a crime. I mean, that's the best they could come up with. Uh, and so they're disturbing the peace. It's late in the day. They're all ready to go home and clock out. You know? And so they're like, you're just going to be in custody for overnight. And so they put them in custody overnight. And the hearing starts in verse 5. You see it. Peter's question in verse 7. And he responds to their question by telling them, just kind of sum it up. He tells them that Jesus is the Savior in a way no other Savior can claim to be. Like, there is no other place to turn is essentially what he's saying. I mean, look at verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, if, if that really offends you, hang in there, okay? Let's talk about it. Because um, that is really offensive to our culture today. Uh, maybe not you, but 93% of this campus is probably really offended by verse 12. Like, they don't buy it. Um, and I understand. Um, and I would love to have more conversations about that if that's where you're at. Uh, and so if you were to ask people across the U.S., it's amazing, especially places like New York City and colleges, campuses just like this. If you were to ask them, people, uh, what's your biggest problem with Christianity? Uh, one of the most frequent answers you would get could be summed up in one word. Exclusivity. This is the most frequent. Like they would say Jesus cannot be the only way. Is, is what they were essentially. There can't be just one true religion. And verse 12 is a great example of people's biggest problem with Christianity. Like, it's really, really offensive in today's culture. Uh, I mean, it, it does really give some people heartburn. I mean, literally. Um, and so, what's going on is you got these exclusive truth claims. Um, and it did not help Peter make any friends. Okay? Uh, actually, he did make some friends. Uh, the cultural powers of that day... Could, I mean, this is, let's go back a couple thousand years. Roman Empire... Like, the cultural powers could not stand things like verse 12. They could not stand exclusivity. Um, and indeed, what you're going to see, if you guys just go home and you read the rest of Acts, people who agreed with Peter, like, they, they owned that. They said, yes, I believe exactly what he just said in verse 12. They died for that. Like, it's going to get that hostile, that, that people are going to lose their life for believing Jesus is the only way. Um, and so back then, everyone um, kind of had their own truth claims. Everyone had their own God. Every, everyone had their own view of things. That's one of the things the Roman Empire was known for. It's like, we're cool, okay, that's cool, come on in. Uh, as long as you worship the emperor, we're good. Um, and so everybody had their own view. I mean, does that sound similar at all? Like it's a pluralistic society. I mean, that's, that's us today. Like this passage, this story, it, it, it connects to us. It relates to the world you live in. Uh, the individual today is the ultimate authority. Uh, everyone has their own God. Everyone has their own truth uh, and their own view of things. That's just the culture we live in. That's the world. We... And so when Christians say things like, Jesus is the only way to salvation, 
there is going to be a head-on collision at some point. Uh, and so here's what I want to do. Um, I just want to take a minute and like do some takeaways, uh, just to kind of help us think through that. Okay, one, Christians didn't come up with this. Peter did not come up with verse 12, right? Um, like, Christians are simply following Jesus. When they say they agree with stuff like that, they are simply following Jesus. Jesus made exclusive claims all the time, all throughout the Gospels. Uh, John 14, John 3, Matthew 11, I could go on for days. Jesus is always making exclusive Claim saying, I am the only way. I am the only true God. I am the one and only. There is no other. Right? And so when Christians say that this, they buy into this, like they're buying into Jesus. And so you probably, if, you, if like the culture has a problem with that, they really have a problem with Jesus, not necessarily us as individuals. Um, and so anyway, that's it. I just want to kind of say that. The next takeaway is for, is for just, you're, you're a Christian. Okay, like, yeah, you may be struggling in your faith. You don't really know what's going on right now because you're at college, you're a freshman, you're freaking out. Um, you're a senior and you're freaking out. You know, I don't know where you're at, but you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're believing, right? There is no need to be ashamed or hide from this kind of truth. Like, there is no need to be ashamed or hide from the gospel because the gospel is very exclusive. Um, it's for all, but it has only one way. Um, and so, like, there, because it's the power of God for salvation. Like, we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to hide. The best thing you, Christians, I, the best thing we have for the world is exclusive truth claims. I know that sounds weird. Uh, but that's actually the best thing we have for the world um, because, because the best thing we have to offer the world is Jesus. And he's really good. And he makes those kind of exclusive truth claims. And so, even though like, we don't need to defend Jesus, a lot of times I feel like I've got to, defend, I've got to make a case for Jesus. You know, like I've got to fight for him or something. Like I've got to go make a defense and be really smart. Um, we don't need to do that. We don't need to repackage him in some more attractive way. Uh, like he's been doing just fine. Like he really has. There's more Christians than there's ever been in the history of humanity. There's more Christians that, I mean, there's like, I mean, millions and billions, right? It's wild what's going on. He is at work. He's doing just fine. And, and most of the world, they don't have a problem with exclusive truth claims. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. The only way I'm, I'm down. Cool. Africa, South America. It's wild. Like, Jesus is doing just fine. But what we do need to do is we need to honor Jesus by always being prepared to tell people um, the reason for our belief and hope. Like, we need, to be able to, we need to be able to talk that out with people and do it with gentleness and respect because we really act, we love them, even though they disagree, even though they think we are crazy and ignorant and arrogant and offensive. That's okay because we love them, and we are excited to honor Jesus and give a really reasonable case for why we believe and why we have hope. Um, and so anyway, that's just to kind of encourage the Christians in the room um, who really do feel the weight of this. Um, and now, for those of you who don't agree with verse 12, right, you struggle with any sort of kind of really serious claim like this. It really just bothers you. Um, 
and I know some of you are in the room, and that's, I'm glad you're here. Here's, here's what I would say to you. Your concerns are valid. Like, your questions are really important. Uh, and, and I just want to say, I'm really sorry. Like, no one has ever taken you seriously, and no, and, and no one's ever taken your questions seriously, and no one's ever taken your doubt seriously. Uh, I'm, I am sorry. Uh, and so there is no way I can cover the amount of stuff that's out there about this issue. Uh, but let's talk. I would love to talk to you about it. There are like seven arguments, mainstream arguments, about against, seven arguments against Jesus being the only way. And they're, and I, and they're good points, and, and I think they, they're worthy of conversation. And so let's talk. We can't do it tonight in two minutes. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, but I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, and so Jesus was a polarizing character. You get that. Like he's, he's making exclusive claims. And following him means at some point you are going to collide with the culture you live in. And it's often in that collision, uh, that's where the, the cracks in our courage are exposed. Right? That's, 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 when, that, that's the times you feel like, man, I wish I had more courage. I wish I was more bold. Is when you come face to face with that stuff. And so the last question, the final question is, well, what can overcome our lack of courage? That's a good question. And this can really apply to anybody. Uh, well, let's read a little more. Starting in verse 13, we're just going to go to 20. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more, to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them back in, right? They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's great stuff. Uh, and so, one way we can kind of overcome the lack of courage is through boldness. Uh, and now let me explain that. You see this word boldness in verse 13. I've heard lots of Christians say, I mean, I literally, if I think I heard it last week, I wish I was more bold. Um, we often misunderstand, we often like misinterpret the word boldness. Um, so just kind of bear with me. Uh, one, it's not about being a jerk. All right, let's just, like, I'm serious. That's the kind of Christians you see on TV sometimes. They're just jerks, man. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, kind of, you know what I'm talking about. The arrogant, kind of judgmental, like we think we're so right. And I'll get in your face. I'm so bold. Um, that's not what's going, that's not what this word boldness means. Okay, so I don't know where they got that from. Um, and, you know, the other thing that it's not about is it's not about your strength. 
It's not about you looking inward to yourself. Does that make sense? Because that's what we think a lot of times. If I need to be bold, I actually need to like look inside and find some super strength in there somewhere. Like it's all about me. I'm going I'm to do it. The word boldness here is a very important word that kind of shows up all throughout the book of Acts. That means this. I'm just going to read the quote to you. Spirit-inspired courage and confidence to speak in spite of any danger or threat. Spirit-inspired courage and confidence. And you see this so clearly if you just look back at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then, I love this, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. Right? He's Spirit-inspired and he is speaking boldly. Uh, And so... And so much of following Jesus is going to involve you speaking at some point. Um, and to do that, you're going to need some boldness. And so what, what I want you to walk away with is like the, the Spirit leads to boldness. God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit overcomes our lack of courage. Like we must depend on another uh, to be bold, like to make us bold. And so some, you know, it's really ordinary stuff, prayer reading the Bible, hanging out with other Christians, right, fellowship, church. I mean, those kind of things are ordinary ways we can experience the Spirit of God working in us and through us. It's those things. Those things is where and how the Spirit works. Um, And so the next thing you see in this passage, so you got boldness, it's Spirit-inspired, but you also have belief. And here, we're going to kind of unpack that. Even though the council ordered them to stop talking about Jesus. By the way, the whole time, like, they could have been just killed. This has happened a lot. Um, they, they ordered him, hey, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. Peter, what? He knows that's impossible. He knows. And he says in verse 20, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Like, here, here's the point. Peter has experienced the grace of God firsthand. And it's changed his life. Um, And so he's not going to stop teaching people about the uniqueness of Jesus. He's just not. Um, I mean, Peter believed Jesus, and it led to profound courage. And so believing Jesus... uh, One definition I saw for courage said, courage is the ability to act on one's belief, right? Despite danger or disapproval, which is often the times why I'm not courageous is because I I want people's approval. Um, And so I think we struggle to have courage because we just don't believe Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm saying we struggle to believe him, to really believe what he said and what he's doing. And so in this passage, Peter's demonstrated, I mean, he's demonstrated great courage, you know, which is a character trait I don't think any of you doesn't want. Like, we all want to be thought of as courageous people. Uh, And Peter does it, what? Like, he is courageous by upholding that Christ is the only way. Like, that's how he's courageous. Like, he upholds Christ is exclusive. Like, he's the only way to God and salvation and he's just telling people what Jesus told him, you know? Uh, and it's, it's really important to highlight, I think at this point, like Peter is not promoting like us against culture. 
Notice, like, he was really good with those dudes. Like, he was respectful. You know? Like, he's not saying, hey, it's us against culture. It's us against the world. Um, Rather, Peter is for the world. Peter is very much for the world. And he knows the best thing he has to offer the world are the absolute truth claims, exclusive truth claims, of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you a story of how I think this plays out practically. There's a student at another university that I know of who, I mean, had a really rough high school experience. Uh, and I mean, she was dating a guy. This dude convinced her to take nude photos of herself. Sent, never a good idea, by the way. And send them to him. And the next thing you know, all of his friends have them. And the next thing you know, all over school, everybody's seen her nude. Um, and so, I mean, and then he dumps her. A, a really awful. And from that point on, like, I, I'd have, I mean, probably the way a lot of people would deal with this is she got into drugs, like heavy drugs. Started out with probably just kind of doing some, some pot, and then it got heavier than that. Uh, and so by the time she gets to college, she was a mess. But she crossed paths somehow, some way. I don't remember all the intricate details. She crossed paths with a campus minister. She's a college student. And when the campus minister asked her how she got into drugs, this is what she told him. This blows my mind. She told him about the experience she had in high school. She said, I did drugs to change my identity. I did drugs to change my identity. I would much rather be identified as the school druggie than the school slut. And so I was like, I'm going to go all in. And I'm going to be the biggest druggie in this high school. And it will completely erase that identity that I had. Because remember, everybody's seen her nude. Um, Well, one night she ends up at a meeting very much like this one. Um, And she hears the campus minister say, say this phrase, Jesus can make you clean. And so immediately after the meeting, she runs up to this campus minister. She's like, hey, I need to meet with you. And he's like, great, just like I would be. And, uh, and then she's like, okay, how's tomorrow morning at 7 a.m.? Now, when a college student says, I want to meet you at 7 a.m., like, one, you go. Two, you know it's serious. Like something, something is about to go down. Uh, and so, I mean, she had to meet this guy. And so she sits down with him and says this. Last night you said, Jesus can make me clean. I need to know that's true. Can he? Can he really make me clean? Because I feel so dirty. I feel so dirty. And obviously he went on and said, absolutely he can and will right now. She's a Christian. It's a really amazing story. Um, This pastor says that there is no one, like there is no one, there is no Savior that has ever existed who claimed to be a Savior that has made a claim like that. There is no Savior that has ever made the claim that their blood will cleanse you. I mean, religions tell us all the time how to be clean. But Jesus comes and he says, I will make you clean. I will make you clean. 
And that is an absolute exclusive truth claim that can change the world and that can change you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this passage and for Jesus who makes us clean. Lord, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and our minds, drawing us close, close to the Savior who promises to make us clean. And we pray in his name. Amen.